0: Welcome to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving upmarket to serving enterprise customers. I'm your host, Michael Greenwich. I'm the founder of WorkOS, which is a platform that helps developers quickly ship common enterprise features like single sign-off. On this podcast, you'll hear directly from founders, product leaders, and early-stage operators who have navigated building great products for enterprise customers. In every episode, you'll find strategies, tactics, and real-world advice for ways to make your app enterprise-ready and take your business to the next level. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Marashlian, the co-founder and CTO of Drata. For those of you unfamiliar, Drata is a security and compliance platform that automatically monitors your security footprint and helps gather evidence for audits like SOC 2. Compliance is one of those key pieces in becoming enterprise-ready and Drata has seen an explosive growth since their launch, the company is today valued at over a billion dollars. I'm super excited to dig in and chat about all things compliance, startup growth, and how to cross the enterprise chasm. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Of course, thanks. For so having me. uh, mentioned a few times Drada as a company um, was hoping that you could give us a quick introduction to the company in your own words, you guys do a lot of different stuff, and have grown and changed a lot as you've grown. So give yeah. us the latest summary.
1: Sure. High-level, Drata helps companies automate their compliance posture. Well, not compliance posture. We help your compliance goals. And by doing that, we automate a lot of the evidence gathering and organization of that, which you know eventually outputs towards the reciprocal side of a lot of these security compliance frameworks, which is you get an annual audit. And in that process, if anyone's ever gone through it, you know it's a lot of tedious back and forth and you know because an auditor a human isn't sitting next to every one of your employees throughout the year understanding what you're doing so you eventually do have to show this evidence to the auditors how did you operate your business against your kind of business controls and kind of what those are like hey this is how we're going to operate our company and the question is is okay prove to me that you operated that and so in that imagine how would i do that if an auditor isn't sitting behind my shoulder you know throughout the year is, you know, a lot of times people use screenshots and tickets and emails and et cetera, et cetera. And we try to automate and gather all of that from tools like AWS or GitHub or Jira or your background check providers and et cetera, et cetera.
0: And Drought is a relatively new company, too. Can you quickly tell us like how long it's been around, kind of how fast you've grown? I know there's been some news. Yeah,
1: It hasn't been too long. I think we're about 20 months in now. We started in the middle of 2020. We're heads down kind of in stealth mode till the end of the year. We launched in beta with a couple beta customers in late November, which was fun. We were our first customer. That's always fun. And, you know, use our own tool to get our own SOC 2 report. And then we launched publicly in the middle of January of 2021. So we recently just hit the year mark. In that year, it was a crazy, amazing year, not only from growth of our team and product, but of customers as well. We also secured as series a and then a series b as of last year and have grown to a unicorn status which is always fun as a company so we've been growing fast and i think that that unprecedented growth rate has really helped us shape this world of our security compliance automation and showing people a better way and not only just hitting a tool and setting and forgetting it but really the partnership approach that we've taken with our customers to not just say, here's a tool, good luck. It'll automate everything. It's, you know, some things, these processes are human interactive and everyone is nuances of it. And not everyone uses AWS as an example in the same way. And so there's a lot of times, you know, very in-depth questions and we have a lot of expert auditors and compliance experts on staff to help our customers. And, you know, that's kind of part of the offering in there. So we really kind of in a way, handhold people through, but at the same time use the software to automate it as it goes through. So we're here to help you know humanistically, but have software to automate as much as possible.
0: That's some tremendous growth, extremely fast. And I know that you know, 20 months ago, there were already a few people kind of in the space building compliance tools. I mean, something several some folks have been working on. As you looked at starting a company here and building something, how did you think about approaching? you know, not a greenfield market where there's nothing, but where there's already some competitors, potentially, potentially well-funded. How did you see like entering into that kind of market and also what the opportunity was for you to do differently?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was so funny just as any other entrepreneur, right? You get this idea, you think it's the best thing in the world and it's like, no one's doing this. And then as you go into the product market research, you're like, holy cow, seven other companies are doing this. That's how it works. Honestly, when we came up with the idea going through pains of our last business, and that's kind of where it came from, was you know doing this manually and then working. So I had an educational technology company in the past called Portfolium. And we went through that motion and we sold to universities. And like every time the CIO or something like that would be like, let me see your SOC 2 report or something along those lines. And we didn't have it in early days. and. So eventually we went through that motion and like did it and did the whole spreadsheet, Jared ticket thing, rip engineers off the roadmap. And it was an expensive process for a younger company with had about 40 employees. And in that process of that business, we sold and merged with uh, Instructure, the makers of Canvas, you know, pretty large educational technology company. And I was so excited as like an engineer myself and the engineering leader, like, oh man, I've never actually worked with like, you know, this is a big like 2000 something person company. like let's go work with this amazing security team. And they are amazing. And they taught me a lot in the security side and compliance side, how they manage it all. But like, they were still doing it by hand. And it was like, whoa, something is majorly wrong here. Like I was in startup mode, like with Portfolio, but at this, you know, bigger multinational company, it was really shocking to see they were still doing it, you know, ticket spreadsheets, things like that. So that's kind of where the entrepreneurial bells, I think started ringing again for me. And as we dove in after emerging those companies in parting ways, it was Adam, my co-founder, we loved working with each other and hey, what were some problems that we faced and this is what it was. And all roads kind of led to this idea. And we're like, this is unbelievable. We can help engineering and security teams. We can help the sales and go to market teams, like get these certs faster to sell up market and grow their companies faster. And as we like go do that product tour, you know, you start finding, oh, okay, there's a competitor here that does something similar, something similar. And oh, wow, this may be like really close to what we do. So you dive in and you understand, okay, what does this company do exactly? What are their customer bases? Who are they going after? Maybe let's try to talk to some of those customers through, you know, one, two, three degree separation. What do they like? What do they not like? And understand their approaches of these competitors in the space. So that's kind of what we did. And from there, we took our own spin and approach. I've been a longtime entrepreneur in my career and from B2C companies, B2B companies and always kind of took that product and design led kind of approach on the product side first and then more so at the business, the customer obsessed kind of centric approach. So I would say that's what we did differently is we like really put the end user at the center of our business and said, you know, this buyer, this user, they need to trust us indefinitely. Like we're going to be holding the metadata of their security posture. Their trust needs to be at the center of this business. That is our number one, you know, value of our culture and our company. It's trust. And so, how that you know gets communicated out through the marketing material to the onboarding process, to customer care, to product, to engineering. I even tell all of my engineers, like every single keystroke you make in the code, think about how this could be broken or hacked or attacked, and So from day one, when knowing we're going to be building a cybersecurity company, we went above and beyond what most do. So when starting a company, usually when you start a company, it's just like, go as fast as possible. Don't worry about whatever. But, you know, we did it right from the start in terms of, uh, you know, security posture and processes and getting a SOC 2 report before we even launched the business publicly (laughs) and things like that.
0: I want to dive into what you said about engineering and design and the experience around that. You know, this space around compliance is not necessarily seen as the place with the best design or typically you know seen as the uh, beautiful products or elegant experiences built here and yet drada has been able to create an experience that's pretty delightful you know to go through and simple and easy how have you structured the team around that and kind of done that you know in this new world of b2b SaaS, a lot of companies aspire to bring modern principles that are designed to legacy industries talk about that
1: I think it just maybe naturally has came out of my like almost 20 year career here. And like from building tools, one of my first companies that was big, it was called Tweet Photo. And we were the ones responsible for putting media onto Twitter. Love me or hate me for that. You know, it's like you build this product where millions and millions of users use it. It's like, okay, like we need to make it enjoyable. And like that, you know, leads into the next thing and leads into the next thing. And what I realized, especially with my last company portfolio was we were writing software for students in that like a little younger, well, I guess older uh, millennials, and then into the Gen Z arena. It's like, they're used to using these apps like Instagram or whatever, you know, across the internet. And holy cow, there's just like hundreds or thousand person product teams on these products that look beautiful and they use it every single day for free. And it's like, that's what they're used to now. Like the bar has been raised so high for day-to-day usage in our interaction with technology. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, like people want better. And so I think if you can really take those patterns, those design patterns from the, you know, Instagrams of the world or whatever the tool is, and put them kind of into these B2B apps, people are used to it. And so like those triggers in your brain are comfortable, like i uh, probably misquoting the biology here, but like your your utopian interceptors like kind of increase or whatever. And it's like, okay, this is enjoyable. And we've heard that time and time again, like in general security, it's like, oh man, that's the cost center in the business. Like, that's the thing I don't want to touch with the 10 foot pole. You have the CISO or whoever in the corner, like figuring it out for us. And it's usually like internally kind of this weird divide between the company. And especially in the SMB, where if you're the busy CXO, Individual and this is the last thing on your mind. Maybe this is the you know two hundredth thing you did you know of the day. It's midnight. Ah, shoot, I gotta you know think about our compliance or security. And so what we wanted to do was bring security and compliance. Kind of, I mean, they're definitely different, right? Like just because you're compliant doesn't mean you're secure. Just because you're secure doesn't mean you're compliant. But by going through this compliance process, it makes you a better ran company. It makes you a more secure company. So that intersection is really strong. And so by doing it from day one and getting these early adopters or like these SMB leaders in, it really helped shape, I think, the culture of their business and really put security in the forefront where they said, wow, Drada made security kind of fun. Wow, this is enjoyable. I've seen this time and time again now across our customer base. And this is what surprised me the most of starting this company is that so many of our customers now, because they've used Drada. Have put security as part of their core values of their business and their culture. And where before it was always this, you know, side thing we'll do later. And so that's amazing because for people like the actual individual of myself or you, like we're users of all these tools out there, and I don't want my data stolen. So to be able to like cultivate this culture that'll just you know spread throughout the SB space, throughout the B2B space. I mean, we have customers of all kinds of B2C and every industry and everything. So it's great to see security, top-of-mind security come through these companies' culture because the importance of that's just so relevant. I mean, holy cow, I think it was earlier this week, there was a giant state attack on you know some Israeli stuff. And a lot of times it relates to vendors, it relates to process, it relates to humans. Like sometimes we're all lazy and we forget to patch the server or we forgot to click this one checkbox on AWS or whatever it was. So how can we have a kind of a watchdog in a way? keep always checking you on that business process that you're running
0: i certainly hope not only will that world of clunky old it software go away i think that's what you were talking about earlier like we're thankfully transitioning out of that i think no one likes that we're getting into better tools but also every company having a stronger security posture and just taking it you know from early days more seriously certainly what the world needs i wanted to ask more about your growth also so obviously the product experience leads to people sharing it through word of mouth. And I know you had a lot of like earlier stage companies when you just got started, those design partners. What has led to your large explosion of growth? What really has driven it? Kind of looking back, was there one specific thing you did or kind of if you were talking to maybe another founder or entrepreneur hoping to have such growth, what would you recommend? Yeah,
1: I think at the core of it is, it maybe sounds a little cheesy or cliche, but it's really our culture of our business. And that culture, which centers around trust, and you know, like a competitive fire and some other items that we all, you know, not only we interview for, but that we live and breathe every day. I think that's what helps our acceleration and growth at every level and putting the customer at the center. So with that, it multiplies out of customers are happy, they're leaving reviews, they're telling their peers, they're telling their former employees. We've actually seen it time and time again, maybe someone that was the champion or a user of Drata leaves their company and goes to a different company And they're like, my first action is to bring Drada into this company. So, you know, now multiply that over 20 months that we've been around, it's definitely been a great kicker. I mean, obviously hats off to the sales team and the marketing teams, like they're doing a phenomenal job, which is amazing. And obviously the engineering, you know, the R and D org to support all that. So those are, you know, factors. And, you know, I wouldn't really say it's one thing we did. You know, it's funny, I've told this to a lot of my peers, I've been building companies in San Diego for almost 20 years now, and I'm involved in the community out here. And so I know a lot of people in the community, entrepreneurship community, and they're like, wow, you know, it's like very positive. And they're like, hey, congratulations, you're doing all this amazing stuff. And that's great. And some of them ask me like, what did you do differently or whatnot? And sometimes in my head, I'm like, I didn't do anything differently. Like, we always wrote amazing code. We always wrote amazing product. We always put customers first. We have a killer marketing and sales team. But I think you know, a little bit to credit myself and my other peers, it's like, well, yeah, but we've also been like doing this now for 20 years. So the mistakes we made 20 years ago, five years ago, like, you know, it adds up. And you definitely have that saying as you try to make yourself 1% better every single day. I mean, do that over, you know, 15 plus year career. I think just naturally now I don't make those mistakes. And so I think that's a lot of paths of a lot of entrepreneurs is yeah, maybe your first one you got lucky or you didn't, you learned lessons and where you see people find real success is like, you know, maybe 15, 20 years into their career. So I would say it's like that. It's just like a combination of 15, 20 years of being in the grind and seeing every single thing you could see from a B2C company to B2B company. And it cultivated into this perfect storm of right market in general, cybersecurity, right industry or like industry, right market for compliance automation. Timing of the market. I mean, sadly the global pandemic is horrible, but from a business side, it has moved a lot of people to work at home, therefore heightening the IT teams around the world to take, you know, security a little bit more serious as I can't control it now in my office. And so everything can culminate into a perfect storm for us to see this type of growth. Well,
0: it seems like it's all continuing too. Those trends are not going away. Let's talk a little bit more about compliance. So SOC two, I think a lot of people are familiar with SOC two, Talk SOC2. People hear about it all the time. There's obviously other types of compliance and other ways that people approach this. Can you talk about how you see that industry, what Drada does and kind of how you see the industry outside of maybe just getting that SOC 2 you know, certificate?
1: Yeah, you know, the SOC 2 cert is a great, like validation that you're running a well oiled machine. There's definitely different levels. For those who don't know, there's like five trust service criterias, the security ones, the only you know, required one So you can kind of go deeper and show that you do more stuff, maybe around privacy or the processing integrity, like you are doing what you say you're doing, even at the code level. So those are great things to do. But I think it's like, once you have that report in hand, it's like a trust thing. Again, it kind of keeps coming back to trust. It's as I talk to my upstream vendors or whatnot, is that it's not so much that I have this cert or this report. It's like, oh, wow, these guys care. About me, like these care about my users. And so I'm going to trust them. It's just building that trust from the start. So I think there's that, and that's an important thing. And it's definitely spidered. And you know, roll back maybe 10 years ago, you hear it all the time oh, I have an RFP from Bank of America, <laughs> and I don't have the SOC 2 report, and I can't even know where to start. And so, you know, those bigger financial institutions, that's definitely where it got started, right? I mean, it is the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Professional Accountants. So it's all around accountancy and finance and stuff. But there's a sector now in the SOC 2 report now versus the SOC 1 or more around compliance security. And with the rise of SaaS and with the rise of clouds, it's like, how do I, you know, before I used to have servers in my office or I had a colo and I control everything. We don't control anything. We're talking on Zoom here using Google or Slack to communicate. You know, my servers are in AWS and my code's in GitHub, et cetera. I can't control it, but I can still deploy practices in my business to ensure it's a secure thing. So I think the SOC 2 report in general, even if it's an American standard, is a great methodology to show that the ISO 27001 cert is kind of that international like sister to that. It's very popular in European markets. I mean, around the world as well. I've noticed even around the world, though, people are accepting either because I think the SOC 2 American kind of standard has become almost an industry standard. And those are great certs to go after, maybe where to start. I would say on one side SOC 2 is a little bit more gray and it's a little bit more open to interpretation. Therefore, if that's your first thing to start with and you use a tool like Drata, it kind of gets you into the shape because you can kind of shape your company to how you want to do it and show, hey, you know, I'm different than maybe someone else It's not cookie cutter and it lets me kind of not break my processes too much, mold them a little, and then, you know, move forward. Where ISO 27001 is a little bit more rigorous. It's kind of, they have this like Annex A, and it's like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And that's good. But what I've seen is it's better to start with SOC 2. And if you want to go more international markets and those international maybe partners are challenging you for an ISO cert, not a SOC 2 report, then okay, maybe move there. Recently, we've actually launched some privacy offerings around the GDPR space. CCPA is coming out soon. So, you know, everyone around the corner, which is great in the California world. And then HIPAA launched a little later. It was, I think in December at the time, I'm remembering that, right? So the difference between the HIPAA laws, like around the Health Privacy Act and GDPR and CCPA and those laws, I think mean, that's the big difference is that those are like laws and they're just compliances that you need to adhere to, not get like an industry certification. So I think we're like SOC2 and go, It's like, okay, I wanna go achieve this. And so I work up and I eventually do an assessment or whatever, and I get this certificate or report. Where HIPAA, if you're, I mean, even a startup from day one, you're holding PHI, the personal health information, you're a bioscience company, or you're helping some hospital build some SaaS tool or whatever, like you need to be HIPAA compliant from day one. And so that kills companies. Like if you're this young company trying to build all this amazing stuff, And now I got to go shift gears and make sure we're HIPAA compliant. And how do I do that? So to make sure that you do that from day one, because it's not this cert you get, it's, you need to be that from day one. It's I think tools like Drata and the way we help you automate it all and put you on your way there to really ever proving compliance in case you ever get tested down from the authorities or your clients, it just makes that world so much easier. So yeah, that the law aspects around HIPAA and GDPR. I find those actually like super open green fields for us as we move forward. We've been really focusing on like the industry certs like SOC2 and ISO, but I think these you know, privacy and health laws are really a new opportunity for us is how do we get from the youngest help startups to some of the biggest names out there?
0: Daniel, I have one last question for you before we wrap up. You've been building startups and thinking about this for a couple decades now. Almost. Almost, almost, sorry, not, <laughs> not to age you or both of us. <laughs> You know, with this company, I'm curious, like, what has been new that you have learned as you've been building this one in particular? And then also, you know, looking back, what advice would you give the next generation of founders and entrepreneurs? Maybe someone starting off at the first company that they're building? The
1: tech side, obviously, that's my realm. There is always a sense of like, go, go, go. We don't have enough time to build the product or whatever. Just make sure you're doing the fundamentals correctly from the start. Like, the way you're setting up your security and the way you're deploying your infrastructure. There's so much amazing software out there from Terraform to others and making sure that those security passes are just done from the start. And that's great. I mean, hopefully, you know, we're here for you and get you on the way to SOC 2 or something to start. But more important is that you just take into consideration security and at the application level, infrastructure level to start. I think that'll pay dividends in the long run. On the business side, what I would say to young entrepreneurs is really not only understand your market and whatnot, but you know what's the buyer journey? I think that's so critical and really understanding who the customer is, who the buyer is, and how do they eventually become a customer? And then how's that handoff from the sales customer perspective into customer success and tracking that along the way? I mean, using tools like HubSpot or whatever are a little easier and cheaper than like a Salesforce, which you know maybe more bigger enterprises use. So I would say like get those like funnels and pipelines done right and be extremely analytical on your data. Some customer or some companies in the early is like we're just trying to close a deal. Then you fast forward six months or a year, and you lost all of that insight you got along the way in that funnel and what worked here, what didn't, and why. And so as you bring in new people that weren't there in the beginning, they could always go back and see. One other tool I would recommend, and this has been a huge help for us. It does cost money, so you have to make sure you can pay for it. But we've been using a tool called Gong, G-O-N-G. It records your calls and there's a couple others out there, but it's been like instrumental. We've had it from day one, from training new people that come on and re-listening to how things you know happen in sales calls and whatnot. So something like that that like, records every single customer call or prospect call, that'd be a huge thing. So that was like to a younger audience. To what I've learned about this company, what I've done differently. Or what I've learned this time. I would say growing this fast is a little painful. (laughs) Make sure you have time to not sleep, I guess. You know, I think as of even, I forget the timeline of five, six months ago, I was like running HR, I was CTO, I was engineer, obviously founder and helping where I could there. But like, uh, so making sure that you start thinking like for these major positions and major department heads, I would probably try to hire. If not six months ahead of it, like three months ahead of it, because, you know, by the time it's too late, it's already too late. And then you have to bring someone on. And by the time they're ramped up, it is a three to six month process. And so hire a little sooner. I wish we hired ahead of people a little sooner than we have. We actually have someone starting soon, which I'm super excited about. That's been good. And I think it honestly just keeps going down to culture. That's where we learned a lot at my last company with uh, Adam, my co-founder and others. And like, not only understanding what the culture is of your company and how it works in the correspondence to your customers. But then how do you cultivate that throughout your company? How do you hire for that? How do you put the ownership of the culture on the employees, not the leadership? And that to me is what's paid dividends at the last business in this business. So even in those hard times where you're up at you know 2 a.m. on a Saturday just doing HR stuff, <laughs> it's like you have this end in sight of this is where people can help me in this area this is where we're going again. I think just the culture of all of our employees now from young to old, from the earlier spots, people that started this week, man, it's infectious, it's fun.
0: I 100% agree with that. I feel like startups are all about hiring culture, just growth and hiring yeah. culture. With that, we can wrap up. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. This has been really fun. Um, really excited to continue to see the growth of Drata. And yeah. I don't know, next time we chat, maybe you will be a multi-billion dollar company at the current And Let's right do now. it. And <laughs> it uh, for our listening, WorkOS is a great tool. We're customers as well. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> we'll let you get back to running Drata. Thanks everyone for showing up and attending. This has been great. Take care. See you next time. You just listened to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. Want to learn more about becoming enterprise ready? The WorkOS blog is full of tons of articles and guides outlining best practices for adding features like single sign-on, skim provisioning, and more to your app. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear about new episodes with more founders and product leads of fast-growing startups. I'm Michael Greenwich, founder of WorkOS, Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.